you're listening to episode 32 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, and with Alex out this week, he's Nick, and this is a mailbag episode. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the show. I am Tara Wellman, typically along with Alex Crisofoli, but he is out for this evening. So back from his trip abroad, I've called upon one Nick Childress to join me once again on the show. So Nick, thanks for being here. Uh, Welcome back. Yeah, no problem. So the trip to Europe was probably way more exciting than watching the Cardinals as of late. And I also would assume it's pretty hard to watch them while you're, you know, taking the trip of a lifetime all across (laughs) Europe. But you came back to a mess of Cardinals baseball. Yeah, like I was just telling you before we started recording, about every morning I'd wake up because in, let's see, when I was in Greece, the Cardinals games would start usually at four in the morning. And when I was in England, they would start at about two in the morning. So um, that time difference didn't really make it easy to watch. And about every morning I'd wake up and not really see the score that I'd like to see. Uh, and also they were like 10 games above 500 right before I left. So it's kind of a different team since uh, I've really been keeping up with them very well. So, <laughs> Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Now, the Cardinals have kind of hovered right around that 500 mark. They entered tonight's game. It's Tuesday night, as we always record, at that 500 mark. They're currently... Leading uh, in the second game of the series, they won game one against the Marlins. They're up six to one uh, on the Marlins right now. So that would push them back over 500 on the year. But man, it's been painful to watch them try to create offense. Even in this game tonight, there were opportunities to score and they did push across a couple of runs early, but not really because of anything they did to generate Mm -hmm. those runs. It was more the... Marlins sort of handing them to the Cardinals. That is not really what, well, first of all, it's not the team that you left when you went to Europe, a team that couldn't score runs. It's not what we really expected this lineup to be either. It's, it's sort of mind boggling to me to think about that 20 and 10 start and how this team could sort of score runs at will. And now, you know, be celebrating the fact that they scored two runs. They, I'm doing air quotes, capitalized on the opportunity by, you know, scoring on a throw that went into the dugout and then a bases loaded walk. Yeah, <laughs> That's what we're celebrating at this point. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I just was watching the game and I heard um, Danny Max talking about them capitalizing and it was literally a bases loaded walk. And I was like, uh, I guess if that's what it takes, but... <laughs> Because I can, I, I think it's just the collective kind of groan of Twitter, as well as just I, a lot of strikeouts that I saw yesterday. I mean, I mean, Sandy Alcantara is a decent strikeout pitcher, but just kind of the at-bats just didn't look very good. And they, I could kind of feel the sluggishness that everybody has been tweeting about. And it just doesn't really look like exciting baseball to watch. <laughs> No, it has not been that for sure. There were some interesting comments in an article by Rick Hummel today from John Mozalek that kind of left things fairly vague as far as exactly what he meant. But he was even talking about, you know, the the Cardinals have to be better at kind of situational hitting. And that's 
not new. We've been saying that about this team for a long time, whether it's the sacrifice bunting, much to my chagrin, (laughs) or other ways of moving runners over and driving runs in that doesn't have to come off of a three-run homer from Marcelo Zuna. That kind of baseball just hasn't been there lately. Now, I'm saying that as I'm watching this team tonight in the eighth inning against a pretty not great Miami Marlins bullpen push across a couple of runs with consecutive base hits. And that's great, but that's the rarity at this point. And that's not really a winning formula, which as much as I sort of took issue with the way that John Bozalak said that today in that uh, article by, by Rick Hummel, he's not wrong. They do yeah. need to be able to be better at that part of the strategy they're trying to employ. I mean, that's kind of the whole point, not the whole point, but that's the whole way to win baseball yeah. is hitting, <laughs> hitting in a situation where you have people in scoring position or in situations where you need runs. I mean, that is something I guess you don't really want your GM to have to say because it's just, <laughs> as baseball fans, like literally that's saying something that we know in every single game, like whether they're playing well or not, we need to hit in a situation where we can score runs. Like it's kind of yeah. obvious. <laughs> it's a little bit like, well, to win the game, we need to score more runs than the other team. Yeah, exactly. And they, and they oh, need to okay. not score runs. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great theory. Let's put that into practice. And that's really been the challenge. I mean, you've heard yeah. uh, in post-game comments, Mike Schultz talking about how they, they feel good about their approach. It's just not generating results. So then maybe the answer is you change the approach. And it's all a process. It's not something that can change overnight. But this is this is an ongoing saga right now. And the Cardinals look a lot like they have in the last three or four years, which I think is why a lot of that angst is building again on Twitter from yeah. people who are saying, wait a minute, I thought this year was going to be different. Yeah, and this is, and as a 24-year-old, I mean, my prime of watching the Cardinals started in like, I don't know, like 2008 or nine. So, I mean, this is one of the first times I've really ever experienced a drought this long. So, I mean, it's, it's just starting to weigh on me a little bit as a fan because I'm used to sitting down in front of the TV and wanting to watch every single day. And it's, it's not necessarily feeling that way. Cause I mean, in the past I would have, even if it was 4am, I would have kind of at least woke up in the middle of the night and checked the score. If I mean, maybe, and that was not something that I wanted to do at all. Like while I was gone. It's a strange situation to be in, to not feel super compelled to watch Cardinals baseball. That's yeah. for sure. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's, I don't know how they fix that at this point, I guess, is is the issue, because it doesn't seem like they've been particularly willing to do something super out of the box yeah. to make changes. So then you kind of are stuck with this limited idea of what can be done or what should be done. And then you have limited results that are available. And it kind of feels like they all like to talk about, well, maybe then we need to change something if it's not working. But I'm not sure there's a lot of reason to to buy into that at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, with the fans, it's kind of a lose-lose unless they start just winning with the lineup they have now because that's the only way those people will be yeah. quiet because, I mean, changing something, in my opinion, won't... I mean, making a bunch of roster moves, like emptying the lineup, that's just going to cause us to tank and then people aren't going to be happy or going to be even more unhappy then. So, I mean, it's a complicated situation that I wish I had the answer to, but obviously I don't. If uh, either of us had that answer, um, we might be able to find our way into Mike Gersh's office or something. I don't know. 
anyway, that's all. That's all what's going on with the Cardinals uh, at this point. Basically, we don't know how to explain it or what to do about it. So instead, we asked for your questions on Twitter and got a handful of them. So we're just going to run through those and let you decide what this podcast is about this week. So let's dive into that. First question is from Christian and Adam Wainwright went on the injured list after his start this week that was shortened by an injury to his hamstring. So Christian's question is, should we, should we worry about Wainwright's injury? And do you think Daniel Ponce de Leon is more of a stopgap solution or someone the Cardinals are grooming into a future rotation member? Sort of a multifaceted question there, but let's start with Wayno on the IL with a mild hamstring strain. Are you worried about that? Well, at this point, no, because it's kind of something that we're used to from Adam Wainwright in his, um, in his last few years. Like he's always on the, on the, disabled list I guess in the past for some length of time I mean it's it's not a surprise that he's on the disabled list and I'm not really worried because it's if it was up to me honestly I would probably be starting Daniel Ponce de Leon instead of him um because I like him a lot I don't know if that's just because he pitches well when I watch because I don't necessarily (laughs) know what his numbers are but I know that I like watching Daniel Ponce de Leon pitch and I, w- I don't think he's someone they're grooming for the future. I really think he's just someone that they stick in, in there when they need him, which, I mean, he's not necessarily like a future piece in my opinion, but he is someone that can go out and get good innings. And I wish that I wish that they would use him in the rotation currently, honestly. Yeah, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more of him. We saw the one start that was sort of a, an emergency type situation early in the season, mm-hmm. and he was great. And yeah. he proved himself capable last year of getting major league outs. So whether it's in the rotation or out of the bullpen, I'm a, I'm a little surprised that we've seen other guys ahead of Ponce de Leon, except that I guess to some degree, you know, if it's a guy you're going to bring up for a short stint, maybe like they've done with Ryan Helsley, keep him in the bullpen unless you absolutely need someone for more innings. That might not be what you want out of Ponce if you're, planning on maybe eventually having to use him to start a game here or there. It's a weird, (laughs) there's that weird line when you're trying to manage for the future as well as what the need is right now. But I do think with the struggles that Michael Walker has had early on with some of the struggles of Dakota Hudson, although he's turned it around and he's been great in the Mm -hmm. last month. I I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more of Ponce Leon because you're right in the opportunities that he's had, He's been pretty successful. So to answer your question, Christian, no, I'm not worried about Adam Wainwright on the IL. It's not an arm issue and it's not, you know, something that typically ends up being a a long-term problem. So I think it's just a matter of not pushing it at this point for a Mm -hmm. a start. And then I expect him to be back out there, but I I would not say that the Ponce is being groomed for a, to be a part of the rotation, down the road simply because I feel like they make it pretty obvious <laughs> who yeah. they're grooming for the rotation mm-hmm. and who's kind of, this isn't a knock on him at all, but kind of like a, like a spare part that you can plug in wherever you need it. And I'm not sure that's a, a particularly effective use of him, but it, to me, that's sort of where he falls into this plan at this point. I agree completely with that. So that is question one moving on. I don't know exactly how to answer this question, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. (laughs) 
Uh, ben asked, whatever happened to protecting the plate when a batter has two strikes? Why don't we see this anymore? This is leading to all these strikeouts. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, my thoughts are the exact same as Ben's um, because that's how I literally everybody that I know was taught to play baseball. Um, I don't know at what point that changes that maybe that players get to a certain point where they're so good that they don't even have to worry about it. And then when they hit the major leagues, they just kind of start striking out because these guys are next, next level pitchers. But it's a great question because I mean, that's the kind of baseball that, like I said, I've always been taught to play. Um, and I just think that at least that's how I was raised to, to teach that that's how you win the game is to just like not strike out, put the ball, always put the ball in play. Yeah. It's interesting to get this question sort of on the heels of those comments from John Mazalek. Cause I feel like it ties in, right? The situational hitting ties in to this idea of protecting the plate or, or, you know, shortening your swing when you have two strikes, whatever it might be. Um, Marcelo Zuna just hit a, bomb home run <laughs> so i'm gonna just pause real quick and appreciate marcelo zuna hitting in miami that's apparently a thing that uh that works well for him so uh anyway marcelo zuna another home run but hitting with two strikes is sort of a lost art i think and it's interesting matt carpenter for most of his career has actually been really good at that like it was the only thing most national broadcasts would talk about was how good Matt Carpenter was with two strikes. Yeah. I haven't actually looked at his numbers with two strikes this season, but I feel like it's probably a career low (laughs) because he's struck out on, he struck out looking on so many occasions this season that I feel like those numbers can't be what they, what they used to be. And I don't know if they're, if that's a, like a distinct philosophy change or if it's just sort of a, a matter of, like you said, the pitchers they're facing being that much better and pitchers are continuing to get better and better. The The art of hitting gets harder and harder as pitchers get better and better at what they're doing, but it does seem to be a bit of a lost art. And, and Ben, you're right. It is frustrating to watch and, and to feel like, you know, if a, if a pitcher gets to two strikes, you can basically write the out in the book. Not every time, but more often than you'd like to see. So yeah, I, hopefully uh, that answers your question. I was just kind of looking at the 2012-2013 Cardinals a little bit ago, because I think that might be my answer to Ben's next question. Um, but I was thinking that both Matt Carpenter and Yachty were both that way. Like Yachty doesn't necessarily strike out a lot now yeah. anymore, but but both of them used to hardly ever strike out at all. And now it feels like they're just like in the lump of everybody else where they just strike out on a, you know, a pretty usual basis. I mean, it's it's just strange to see that change that much, especially because Matt Carpenter literally never used to strike out. He could he could put the bat on any ball, which would be nice. It would be nice to have that version of Matt Carpenter at this point. The one those were the years that Matt Carpenter and Yachty were both in the running for MVP. So, I mean. One could conclude <laughs> there's a correlation there to not no. striking out and uh, and being good at baseball. But what do we know? Yeah, we're just you know watching from the couch. <laughs> the real question is: Is Colton Long now going to bunt with nobody on up seven one? Nope, he actually took a full swing. Well, that's the first time in days. Um, anyway, as you mentioned, Ben Cerruti asked a question. 
he said outside of the 2004-2005 Cardinals teams, which team that did not win it all in your lifetime was A, your favorite, and B, the team you most thought was going to win it? So We saw some answers on Twitter that were <laughs> before my lifetime. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I'm glad that you all enjoyed those teams, but I'm not going to pick teams from the 80s. <laughs> yeah, same. I was born in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Limits so, the window a little bit. Yeah. But go ahead. So my answer, like I mentioned earlier, I think my favorite team to watch that didn't win the championship was the 2012 Cardinals. I just felt like I was still on that. I was still riding high from the 2011. And I guess it's probably just because they were basically the same team plus Carlos Beltran. And I mean, I think I really liked Carlos Beltran. I really liked Lance Berkman, uh, Matt Holiday, of course, just all those guys. And I mean, uh, my my real answer would be the 2011 Cardinals if I was allowed to pick one that won the World Series. But it's basically the 2012 because they were the same team. That's fair. Those yeah. were those were good years. It was nice to ride that high a little bit. I think it it seems like not a particularly interesting answer, but both 2013 and 2015 were fun for different reasons. Writing those teams into playoff runs that obviously didn't end like you'd want them to, but there were just so many interesting pieces, whether it was the the way that they hit in 2013 or the way that they pitched in, in 2015. Those are the kinds of teams that at least they were so good at one thing that you wanted to watch all the time because they were so good at that one thing. I feel like sort of going back to what we were talking about, the Cardinals don't really have that right now. They're not great at, at scoring runs. They're not great as far as the starting pitching pitching is concerned. Their bullpen has been good for the most part. It's taken on a little bit water, a little bit of water as of late, but they're not really great at any one particular thing. So there's not that really compelling identity of who this team is. That's what I felt like was there in, in 13 and in 15. Um, the 2002 team was great, but I'm not going to lie. That was before I became super involved in watching and following baseball hardcore. So it was much more of a casual interest at that point. So I feel like I should pick a team that I, I knew a lot more <laughs> than uh, than I did in, in 2002. So That's okay, because my, my earliest memories of watching the Cardinals on TV uh, was the 2004 World Series. So... I'm not going to. There you go. <laughs> so my dad's from St. Louis, but I actually grew up in Utah and we, there were not, there wasn't Fox Sports Midwest to watch yeah. every game. And the Cardinals weren't exactly national television a whole lot in the 90s. So it wasn't a whole lot of access until like game day came along and you could listen to the games wherever you were. And then I started to get a little more into it. So yeah, that 2002 team was great. Um, 2004 was the first time I really remember like being all in on a team. And then of course it was a pretty nice ride for the next couple of years to yeah. say the least. But I'm curious for anyone listening, what your answer to this question is, what has been your favorite team to watch that didn't win at all because there are some uh, compelling options. I'd imagine that nobody would pick like the last three or four years. <laughs> I I wouldn't think so. <laughs> Although know, it is on the nice. table. So. It's just kind of nice to feel like you have a chance at winning. Yes. <laughs> that it's been a while since it, it felt really <laughs> competitive. Actually, it's only been since like 
April. <laughs> but <laughs> as far as an entire season is concerned, yeah, it's yeah. it's been a little while. Okay, question from Daniel Shapta, which I think is a really interesting question. Who has more power than Yadier Molina in this organization? He said, I think Bill DeWitt Jr., but not so sure about Bill DeWitt III. <laughs> I I honestly have no idea how to answer that question um, because <laughs> I, I don't really know the hierarchy of the Cardinals when it comes to like the inner circle, but yeah. I would imagine that Yachty has as much pull as anybody in the whole organization. I think that's that's the point that was being made as <laughs> much as anything is that it seems like in the last couple of years, what Yachty says is taken more seriously and and with more conviction than even some of the guys perhaps in the front office i think back to adding jordan hicks to the opening oh, day yeah. roster last year that was entirely a yadier molina based decision i think about kind of who the backup catcher has been since the departure of tony cruz and how much molina has seemed to dictate that to some degree and I wonder how many players who have sort of the clout that he does have that much of an impact on decisions that are made. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Honestly, I think Yadi's probably one of the smartest baseball minds that you could find. I'm not sure it's a great plan to have a player sort of calling their own shots with the other guys in the organization, but that sort of seems to be, the way that Yadier Molina goes and, and man, if there's anyone that can do it, <laughs> there's anyone whose opinion would seem to be valid from that perspective. It would probably be Yadier Molina. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a lot of him kind of just stepping in and wanting to have his voice heard probably also stems from him being a catcher because they have input on every single play. Yeah. And, you know, th- those guys end up being managers in the future fairly often. So, I mean, Maybe that's what's in the future for Yachty, too. Yeah, he definitely is not short of opinions. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, okay, I want to go back to Ben Cerruti because he asked one other question that sort of leads into this week's Chirp of the Week. So I'm going to ask this question. We can answer it, and then I will give you the Chirp of the Week. He asked, if you could only reverse one trade the Cardinals have made during your lifetime, which trade would it be? Oh, gosh, that's... I don't, I mean, let's maybe say in recent history, because okay, good. <laughs> if you're like me the entire lifetime, I don't, I don't know. I would have to yeah. do a lot more, a lot more thinking that I've done to this point. I mean, I, I guess I have to go with the Tommy fam trade from last year, just because of how well he's playing, at least that he was playing. Like I said, I've been gone for about a month, so it's been pretty difficult for me to keep up, but I'm he was pretty, pretty sure he hit a 485 foot home run ah, tonight. So okay, good, he's doing good. all right. <laughs> Glad he's doing that for somebody else and not for us. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that would be my answer. I just love that personality. And for the purpose of gifting, he was always somebody that you could uh, <laughs> just watch out for. You, you could get about one good clip a game at least. So, I mean, yeah, that, yeah I miss Tommy fam. That would also be my answer. I think that, Whatever the reasons that were there, maybe, I don't know. I I feel like you kind of have to be inside that decision to know what all the reasons were. Mm -hmm. But to trade Tommy Pham, not only the production, but the competitiveness and the cost control, relatively, 
for uh, Jason Shreve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that one stings a little bit. That one stings for sure. But I'm glad that you said that because that was my thought as well. Yeah. And this is the chirp of the week. So on this date, when you were hearing this, June 12th, 1940, Ducky Medwick was traded to the Brooklyn Dodgers. As far as I can tell, he was a lot like Tommy Pham. So he thought he was the best player on the team, thought he was one of the best players in the National League, didn't think he got enough respect for the product that he put on the field and the competitiveness that he brought every day. And he thought he should be paid like it. So Medwick was that guy in the 1940s and he had numbers to back it up but evidently wasn't particularly well liked in the clubhouse partly because of that edge partly because of the cockiness and uh i was reading about him on the saber website and it said this to joe medwick Baseball was all about base hits and buckarinos. He delivered with base hits and he expected the club to deliver big bucks. Joe did not have an engaging personality, to say the least. Even some of his teammates did not like him. Cardinals owner Sam Braden had little patience for impudent hired hands. <laughs> Eventually, he convinced general manager Branch Rickey that the slugger was expendable. So that's why I say... I don't know what all was going on inside behind closed doors yeah. with Tommy Pham, but it sounds a lot like some of the things that we'd heard about him as far as just sort of that edge he brought to the clubhouse and how it might not have been super well received by everyone around him. So they gave him the ducky Cardinals treatment. traded. They did. They gave him the ducky treatment, uh, which, by the way, Medwick hated that nickname. <laughs> he preferred to be called muscles uh, as one does. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the Cardinals traded him on June 12th, 1940 to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And in his, I believe his sixth game as a Dodger, he faced the Cardinals and was hit by a pitch by Bob Bowman. And it cleared the benches and brawls in those days were actual brawls. And Medwick ended up in the hospital with a concussion. Oh, wow. He ended up only missing four games. And that incident actually sparked a lot of the very slow changes but changes nonetheless to the idea of you know wearing batting helmets which seems oh like a thing that probably should have happened a lot sooner than it did but anyway after the trade the beaning the brawl medwick played another eight seasons ending his career right back where he started which was with the cardinals i bet that was a little bit awkward anyway he's a hall of famer his career numbers uh, his slash line is 324 362 and a 505 slugging percentage which aren't spectacularly impressive numbers when you compare to what we think is perhaps mvp-esque these days mm -hmm. but the point is this date in history ducky medwick was traded much like tommy fam was and um ended up being pretty darn good afterwards that is your chirp of the week. <laughs> so the prophecy says that Tommy Pham will be coming back. Yes. And will also be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Mostly Amazing. not with the Cardinals. <laughs> I am down for that. <laughs> uh, so again, if you have a trade that you would like to have seen it reversed, feel free to let us know that as well. The Cardinals are trying to close out the 7-1 lead there in the bottom of the ninth with two outs oh now we've got 
two strikes from John Brebbia, and uh, this is where the two-strike approach comes in. We'll see what happens. I'm going to assume that they that they finish this one off and pick up a series win, which is a good thing, although also a, a pretty necessary thing when you're playing the Miami Marlins at this point. But that will do it for this episode of Chirps. Nick, thanks so much for uh, for hanging out tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you can do it at some time again soon. Sounds good. Make sure that you are following Birds on the Black on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman. You can follow Nick at Enchil17. And we will be back next week with another episode after the Cardinals complete this road trip. Alex should be back then. We look forward to talking to you soon.